Hey everyone, and welcome back to episode 31 of He Said, She Said. I'm your host, Sierra. And I'm Eric. And this week, we're actually going to dive into some of my school history. (laughs) So, for all you Great Bridge peeps out there listening, uh, you already know what's up. We are going to be talking about our old assistant principal, Dr. Wesley Ernest. Yeah, when you told me this story of, like, you know, when we first started dating, I was like, what? Nobody believes it. Yeah, and then... Did it, it happened when you were in school, right? That yep. is so freaking crazy. Yeah. Okay. So before we get started, we just wanted to give a shout out to a great crunchy product. Uh, we got a new lip gloss. So I do like it because it's pretty much just like a shine and it kind of enhances the natural color of your lips. So go ahead and check it out on our bio. So since this happened at my school, and I've actually met him before, I'll go ahead and give a little history about what he was like from my experience and some of my classmates' experience. Wesley Ernest, as we all knew him as Dr. Ernest. He made you call him that? I don't know. I I I don't even know if he had his doctorates. So weird. Yeah. Well, okay. So some of the teachers that taught at my high school, and I'm pretty sure our principal had their doctorate too, but we just called them like... Mr. Whatever or Mrs. Whatever. Yeah, I'm not sure why we called him Dr. Ernest, if he had his doctorates or not. Such an ego yep. thing. Well, just uh-huh. wait. It's, uh-huh. it's definitely an ego thing with him. So, Dr. Ernest was an assistant principal at my high school, Great Bridge High School, in Chesapeake, Virginia, while I was attending there. Dr. Ernest was known as friendly by most and brutal by others. I've heard stories of how lenient he was with students at some times and how harsh he was at others. Any particular, like, he was more lenient with... A certain section of students or? No, not not that I'm sure of. I will say like, you know, I've gone back and read some posts and messages and stuff that I've seen on Facebook that people have talked about the, him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people would actually even talk about how he always bought students lunch if they forgot their lunch or forgot their lunch money. That's kind of nice. Yep. So That I mean, way they could graduate, you know. Yeah, I know. Nowadays, <laughs> Texas, it's going all over the news. It's like, I think you know, it's they're, everywhere, though. They're holding back students for not paying their lunch bill or something. Yeah, they can't graduate. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So my personal experience with him, uh, I actually got a in-school suspension. What did you do? <laughs> so we pulled a prank on a substitute teacher one day. <laughs> for those listening, I'm sure you all know Miss E. And she was subbing for our history class at the time. Me and some of the other students, uh, the rowdy ones, mm-hmm. you know, there, we had that one table. But we actually got all the students in on it. So... Was this an old sub? Like, was she older? No, she was young. Oh. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So, if y'all remember Pee Wee Herman, mm-hmm. uh, you guys know how he had word of the day? No. Where, like, somebody says the word and everybody shouts and screams and celebrates? Nope, don't remember that. Okay, well... Pretty much the whole class got in on it, right? We picked out a word that she knew she was going to say because we knew what <laughs> topic we were talking about that day. And when she did it, you know, we had the whole class erupt in a cheer, clap, screams, whatever they wanted. <laughs> I, of course, got picked out of the crowd because I used something of the teachers to make noise, like one of her bells or something. Oh, what grade was this? Uh, had to have been ninth or 10th grade. Oh, my God. Yep. And they said I stole or damaged the property, and that's why I got the suspension. You little hellion. Yeah, right? But enough (laughs) of that. Let's jump into the background of this story. Maybe before we start, we should also say this is very tragic for her family, 
um, I don't really know like too much about it, but I mean, any anyone, if this ever happened to my family and people were covering it on a podcast, I would definitely one unless since you do, since it was like your personal teacher and like you knew him and stuff. I would want someone to like reach out to us and be like, "Hey, is it cool if we talk about this? You have anything you want to add?" We yeah. we didn't do that. Like I said, because you went to school there um, and you know all your friends and they had some input and stuff too. But yeah, so just as for as far as her family, you know, we give our condolences and I'm sure this isn't a fun thing to listen to over and over and over, especially what, like 15 years later. So I mean, I'm sure it never gets easier. But yeah, so we do just want to, you know, say that we are sensitive to her family and I'm sure we'll make jokes about him, but we'll try and keep it as factual as possible but so jocelyn uh she was a basketball standout and a business and econ major and she met wesley who was a mathematics student (laughs) just outside a calculus class at west virginia university yeah so and i didn't know that until you know i started digging into the story and reading all about this so i mean found out a lot of interesting facts about everything. Yeah. So they they obviously met in college. And when asked what kind of couple Jocelyn and Wesley were, Jocelyn's mom said they were described as cute. Yeah. Which is cute. I mean, that's a cute thing to say about a college couple. They would frequently spend time watching basketball games together and would always be seen together, you know. Probably kind of like what we would be if we met in college. Yeah. Minus the basketball. We wouldn't watch basketball. No, I, but No. <laughs> um, Jocelyn's sister, however, saw things differently. The siblings always do. Do they? Oh, yeah. Did you say your brother talks shit about me? <laughs> yep. He said, don't, don't marry that Eric. That's too weird because my brother's name is Eric. <laughs> Spelled differently, thank God. Uh, makes text conversations easy, at least. Yeah. But when when I'm talking to my sister-in-law, I have to say my Eric, meaning my husband. Anyways, but yeah, so her sister saw things differently. She described them as polar opposites and how she had seen her sister crying one time after getting off the phone with Wes, which one time, I mean... Uh, I think it was more than one time. It's, in the article, they only mentioned one time, but... yeah. Was her sister older or younger? I'm not sure. Okay. But whenever the sister would ask Jocelyn anything, uh, she would always brush it off and say, <laughs> I love him. What? I, I feel like that's kind of like the young love excuse. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> uh, Jocelyn and Wesley eventually got married in the summer of 1995. See, I kind of wish we knew when they went to college, like how long they had been dating And then got married, but anyways. Her sister had mixed emotions about the wedding and didn't think Wes was right for her. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you gotta listen sometimes. Like, seriously, sometimes your sister and your brother and your family and your best friend, who I think sometimes they just know, you know? Yeah. It's more, I guess it's like hard. Like, I could see people not listening to, like, their parents sometimes, but, like, their siblings, kind of a red flag, I think. Yeah. But anyways. So they moved to Bedford County, Virginia, where Jocelyn was working in finance and Wes was an assistant principal at a high school in Lynchburg. Yep. So over the years, the couple's marriage had begun to get rocky, but they still proceeded to build a luxury getaway house on Smith Mountain Lake in Virginia. This is mind baffling. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. The house was 7,000 square feet, 
seven bedrooms, six and a half bathrooms with lake views all around. And it was supposedly designed by Dr. Ernest himself. And that's crazy because we were looking at like how much it was worth and stuff. And how like that's just a typical house hunters like I grow butterflies in my backyard and uh, I've sharpened pencils and our budget's like six million. Yeah. So the house already seems ridiculous. Right. But then when you talk about it being a second home. That's insane. Right. For a teacher and someone working in finance. It didn't say, you know, what Jocelyn did exactly, but it did say that their combined income was still shy of 200000 a year. Granted, okay, early 2000s, 200000 a year, that's pretty good. Yeah. But still, they're talking about a multi-million dollar... Second home. Second home, yeah. That's outrageous. Yes. Like, how can they afford that? So I can surely tell you that no one in school would have thought he had a multi-million dollar house on Smith Mountain Lake. And he never talked about it? Maybe. Oh, okay. Maybe he like teachers like to, and he stuff. He did like to brag, yeah. Yeah, he probably talked to the teachers about it. Yeah. So it, again, it was said this house project was a multi-million dollar project. During the build, Ernest wouldn't let his wife make any decisions. And it was said that he treated this project like his baby. And it was all about status and control for him. Puke. Yeah. I just like rolled my eyes so hard. <laughs> so the house finished in early 2000s, but by 2004, 2005, the couple's marriage was starting to crumble. Issues with intimacy between the couple led West to start dating a teacher from another school. Uh, mm, don't say that led to that. I know it's already in there, but... I'm just reading from what I gathered. I know, but that's such a bullshit excuse. So, okay, I didn't include it in our outline here, but Wes had said that his wife told him that he needs to go out and find somebody (laughs) that can please him. And then talking with friends, it came up where the conversation was like, um, Wes was like, you know, I want it, I want it, I want it. And Jocelyn was like, well, you better go find somebody who can do it for you then. You know, kind of just playing, joking around, right? Um, Well, he took it seriously. What an idiot. Yes. So Wesley had originally told this teacher that him and Jocelyn were already separated when in fact they were not, right? He was still living at the same house and going to that house every night with Jocelyn. Oh my gosh. Was this a teacher? It was a different school, you said. I didn't get the exact on that. But when the other teacher was asked, she said she thought her and Wes would get married one day. Oh, poor thing. Yes. He's such a manipulator. Yes. So Ugh. once Jocelyn found out about all of this, she finally separated and filed for divorce in 2006. Once separated, Wes moved three hours away and took a job as another assistant principal at my school, Craybridge High School in Chesapeake, Virginia. Mm. So he was only principal at my school for about a year, year and a half, give or take, right? Gosh. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay, babe. The fun stuff. Not fun. You're right. Not fun. But, you know, you love crime. So crime junkies and all that. I do. But yeah, again, we always, it's more of like awareness. But (laughs) okay. So it all started December 19th, 2007. And you said you were in high school? Mm Mm-hmm. I was in seventh grade. (laughs) um no way yeah that's how my that's how my schools always went like first grade was 2001 and like it was easy like that to remember i was a sophomore oh in 2007 yeah 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 i was in seventh grade i graduated in 2012 a year earlier so that makes sense yep 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 okay so started december 19 2007 when jocelyn Ernest was texting one of her close friends all day she had stopped responding and her friend got worried 
Her friend drove over the next morning on December 20th, and I'm not laughing at this scenario. I'm laughing because I can't read, and Eric literally just shook his head like, yes, you you read that sentence right. So, anyway, and let herself in with a spare key and found her body and called the police. That's awful. So, if you're one of your best friends just stopped responding, would you drive however far and go check on them? I, it would depend on the circumstance. So I feel like this is more of like a small town thing. Yeah. So if she was like, if I knew there was a lot of problems going on and like she, like say maybe he was like threatening her or something and mm-hmm. or she was scared or and then just like how the conversation was going and she stopped responding, absolutely. I would definitely drive. Yeah. I, I guess it, it does mention, you know, how unhappy she was and the problems that they were having. So yeah, I guess that's understandable. Yeah. But if it was just like... My one friend that lives in Tennessee, mm-hmm. and she, like, we were having a normal conversation, and she just stopped texting me for a day. I'd be like, okay, she's busy. <laughs> See, it's like, guys, it's like, oh, they'll respond in three days. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it, again, depending on how the conversation was going, I would absolutely drive and see what was going on. Or try and contact somebody to go, like, see what's yeah. going on, whatever the case. But, anyway, when the police arrived, they discovered... A shiny revolver beside her, a bullet wound to her head, and a note left by the door. So he clearly tried to stage it as a suicide. We'll find out. Okay. So the note said, To mom, I'm sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. Wes has put us in such a financial bind. Can't recover. My new love will not leave the family. Love, Jocelyn. Interesting. Yeah, what the hell does that even mean? A new love? And financial problems. Yeah. And there seemed to be more questions than answers coming from that note. Yeah, Uh, for sure. So the detective on the case stated it didn't seem like a suicide note, as in the past cases he's had, he noticed they are usually more personal. Mm -hmm. This note was a typed 83-word note, and it contained two fingerprints belonging to her estranged husband, Wes. Yeah. What an idiot. Yeah. So, and, you know, there's only one way those fingerprints got there, right? He had to have clearly touched the note. What an idiot. So, yeah, that would make you think either A, he got there first, saw it, picked it up, and left without calling the police. Yeah. Or B, he did it. Yeah, but, and then also, if you're going to write a suicide note, you're not going to type it. Exactly. That was something else they talked about. Because, honestly... One of the one of the things that I do like a statistic from listening to so much true crime is like people that truly most of the time when people commit suicide, they have about five minutes that Mm -hmm. they make the decision. So they're not going to go downstairs, type up on their laptop, (laughs) print it out, go back upstairs like that just doesn't happen. Right. So things got even juicier when police went to see Jocelyn's therapist. We told them she was the exact opposite of someone who was suicidal. In fact, she stated she was upbeat. So she was seeing a therapist? She was. Yeah, they would know if she... Oh, yeah, yeah. So when police questioned some of Wes's co-workers, their responses were interesting, to say the least. One teacher stated that Wes had informed her that he did not have to work for a living and that he was very well off. (laughs) Another teacher tried to give her condolences once news of his wife had arose. Wes's response... What the fuck are you talking about? How many times do I have to tell you I'm not married? <sighs> mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall to see these teachers' responses to this. Like, yeah. one, the bragging about how much he 
had like how much money he had and how he didn't have to work i would those type of people irritate the shit out of me like if he said that to me i'd be like okay then then leave why are you here yeah yep so it definitely seemed like wes was going through a midlife crisis at this point and he did have a lot of money right he had (laughs) that three million dollar lake house wrong Apparently, he tried to sell the lake house for $2.9 million back in 2007, but then the housing bubble had burst. Ernest, who was originally in charge of the couple's finances, was in a bind with loans, credit card debt, and a more than $6,000 a month mortgage on their lake house. This is just their lake house, right? And they're separated. So they've got whatever house they had in Bedford and then whatever place he's got in Chesapeake. Oh, yeah. Like. Well, so... I mean, if they were getting divorced, wouldn't she have to get half of that anyways? Like, she would have to pay half of what the bills were and stuff? Like... Yeah, I mean... Unless it was only in his name. Yeah. Hmm. So, when asked if he had enough money for everything, he stated he had thousands and thousands of dollars. Which I just think is comical. Yeah, it doesn't sound like nearly enough money cover what was owed. Uh, yeah, no. It turns out that Wesley was more than a million dollars in debt <gasps> and was living on credit cards, borrowing from one card to pay off another and the house, and it was just becoming more and more of a strain on him. Oh, my gosh. Yes. That poor woman. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if when they were going deeper and deeper into the divorce, like you have to provide every single financial statement and everything that you have. I mean, they'll subpoena it. Like yeah. they will get it. So can you imagine being in being in the courtroom and like if it eventually got to that point and the judge reads off like what debt he had, I <laughs> would be on the floor. Yeah. Well, clearly, I mean, it didn't get to that point, but yeah. yeah. So it turns out that debt collectors were calling regularly, even after Jocelyn's death. And it got to the point where Wes's <laughs> new girlfriend had even paid thousands to them in order to keep them at bay. What? Yeah, that's nuts. That like, is nuts. Was that the same? Was It was, it was the it? one he was dating, yeah. Oh, jeez. I mean, did she not see some red flags here? Like, No, so she said that she didn't see any red flags. That is bizarre. Mm-hmm. And yeah. also scary. So it was at this point that investigators thought they had motive that Wes killed his wife for insurance money, but there was still a puzzling piece to the suicide note. The new love. We still wondered about this. So yeah, I'm definitely curious too. Yeah, so you're actually going to read it here. And I don't know if this friend is a male or female. So Yes, so... Her friend Marcy definitely sounds like a female. It does. So her friend Marcy and her kissed a few times and Marcy admitted to loving Jocelyn. But when Wes was questioned about this, he claimed to not have any clue of who Jocelyn was dating or rumors that there may have been about her love life. I mean, I already told you if if you die or something horrible (laughs) happens to you, I'm switching sides. (laughs) Oh, not that I'm, like, any interested, but I there's no way I could <laughs> yeah. marry another man. So Jocelyn's best friend, Jennifer, didn't even know about her love life either. However, she knew she had been unhappy for the last three years. Wonder, Which, yeah, I mean, obviously she was dealing with all this. Of course she was unhappy. Yeah, no joke. I wonder if her therapist knew. She may have, but yeah. I don't know if uh, she was able to disclose anything. Yeah. So when Jennifer asked Jocelyn about fearing Wes, 
Jocelyn stated that she just wasn't sure anymore and that on more than one occasion expressed the fear to me and worry that he would kill her. Yeah. So yeah, 100%, I would drive there too. Like if my friend had ever said that to me even once and it say it was even like a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And she didn't respond. Heck yeah. Well, this isn't even there. the friend that she was texting, though. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, come to find out, Jocelyn kept diaries in 17 spiraled notebooks. And within these notebooks, she wrote, if I die, Wes killed me and he probably shot me. That. Uh, it's nuts. Just the fact. so sad and scary. That, yeah, wasn't just the fact that that was in one of her journal entries and that she actually called it out, like, she called out her own death, who did it, how it happened, everything. You would think that'd be enough evidence right there, right? Yeah, you would think so, but I I know better because I listened to too many true crimes. But yeah, that's really sad and scary. And honestly, it's a good thing that he didn't know about those because he probably would have destroyed them. Oh, he did? Yeah, you've, you should have clearly read this before you I should have. Okay. There was an issue, though, since Jocelyn was dead and could not be questioned by the defense the journals were considered as hearsay and could not be admitted as evidence yep that is so stupid yeah so what if she had said that to her therapist then what if she because that's she could have but unless the therapist was able to actually tell the police that information oh my gosh yep Apparently, about 15 months after Jocelyn's death, when Wes was out on bond awaiting trial, something else crazy had happened. His lake house went up in flames. Oh my god, he's so stupid. (laughs) The investigator who saw it said the flames were 40 feet tall and the house was burning extremely fast. To make matters worse, Wes was nowhere to be found. So he obviously, like, gassed it, right? Most likely. So (laughs) the investigator said, this man has been in two major incidents. His wife died traumatically, and his lake house burns down. Either he has to be the unluckiest guy in the world, or his absence from these incidents are not coincidence. I mean, kind of as a joke, though, like, that would happen to you. Because you are very <laughs> yes, uh, unlucky. For, like, the weirdest things. Yeah. And, like, this would be one of them. Oh, for sure. And you would probably go to jail. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you didn't do it. Yeah. So, problem solved for Wes, right? He gets a huge insurance payoff from the house, eliminating that debt, and the land it was on was still worth almost a million dollars. Exactly. And the cause of the fire was ruled inconclusive, and a judge ruled the house could not be used in the murder trial because the fire could not be linked to Jocelyn's death. Prosecutors stated Wes's behavior was weird that day, and it's even worse when it was found that he was renting out the lake house through a rental site behind Jocelyn's back. Yet... Within minutes of the fire, the website goes down and suddenly the house is not for rent anymore. Shut up. What is yes, wrong with people? I know. Like, seriously, you cannot make it any more obvious. But he's, like, still getting away with it at this point. I'm baffled. Yep. They seriously need to hire, like, stay-at-home moms. <laughs> I mean, we could have this solved in a day. Oh. Jesus. So when the court date finally came... And Wes sat on trial. He was met with family members of his own and Jocelyn's. And I can only imagine what was going on in that courtroom. But this is where we get some more information regarding the death of Jocelyn. Gosh, that would be absolutely awful to have to face. Because, like, you you know they knew. Especially the sister, Jocelyn's sister. She had to have known. Yep. 
But so the defense definitely had their hands full and the prosecution painted the picture of Wes being manipulative and desperate. Clearly, there was no painting the picture. It was he did it himself and a greedy man who murdered his wife. (laughs) And it was found that Wes had borrowed a co-worker's pickup truck a few days before Jocelyn's death. I remember when I first heard about this. I was just like, dude, like, come on. What did he need the truck for? Just, I can't tell you because it's later on. <laughs> okay, just... so that would, that would be like something that would happen to my dad. Like, No, this is, this was legit. Okay, well, like, he would, like, let my, like, someone would be like, hey, can I borrow oh, your yeah. truck? And my dad I mean, would be like, sure. And it's then... not like the coworker got in trouble at all. I know, but still. So, prosecutor stated, by the time he got there it was dark and Wes either snuck into an unlocked door or forced his way in when Jocelyn was at the door. She had time to run five or six steps from the front door when he pulled out the 357 and shot her in the back of the head. Okay so right there if she was shot in the back of the head how could they have even said that was a suicide at all? Yeah so this kind of got a little blurry because Originally, it said that the shot came from an upward position, but now they said this was shot in the back of the head. Hmm. But keep going, and we'll see a little more here. Okay. So it was then Ernest who turned up the thermostat to make it appear she had died much earlier in the day, which honestly was probably the smartest thing he's ever done in this whole entire scenario he did really just gotta not say anything and just read the script okay (laughs) but yeah so it said that he turned the thermostat to 90 degrees yeah yeah but i mean again smart but stupid because i'm sure it's stuck there but anyway prosecutor said i think wesley Ernest not only thinks he's smarter than everybody else, he actually believes he's smarter than everybody else. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was funny. Typical narcissist move right there. (laughs) They then insist the note was a homicide note left by Ernest rather than a suicide note left by Jocelyn. Right, I mean, that's, yeah, the prosecution is going to do that, of course. Yeah, but like, Anybody in their right mind would do that and say that. I'm sure his attorney was like, man, this guy's stupid. Like, got to defend him, though, because he's paying me. But anyway, when Ernest's mother was asked about the note, she stated she did not think he was capable of writing a fake suicide note. Yeah. I'm sorry. I mean, uh, you're, that's, that's her son. And she, she saw him as innocent throughout this whole thing. I can see that she said, like, if she said, I couldn't see him doing that, but if, like, eventually... To this day, she still thinks he was wrongly convicted. See, at that point, like, no. Nope. Sorry, Alaric. Um, All of these facts coming up, <laughs> like, no. So, anyway... <laughs> And get this, apparently the truck he borrowed before Jocelyn died, he borrowed again two weeks later and uh-huh. brought it to Kramer Tire and asked them to swap them with the least expensive tire that they had. <laughs> when the manager told him the current tires were practically new, Wes stated he didn't like the way they rode and wanted them swapped. Yeah, like, seriously, though, if you're taking somebody's truck... And you're going to go put new tires on it. Why not just use your own vehicle? No, but like you wouldn't think that the person that you're borrowing from would be like, "Uh, dude, (laughs) those are not the tires I had on there. I mean, unless he kept his like somewhere else and like put them back on. 
But then again, <laughs> going right back to the mom, like we just said, make that make sense. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Wes finally got to tell his side of the story on April 1st, 2010 in court. It was a little too long to go into detail, but it was stated that his answers felt very rehearsed when questioned by the defense attorney. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's a defense, right? You know, they, they practice this stuff with you every day. Oh, yeah. Huh. Oh, yeah, you watch Suits. Yeah, <laughs> just in general. I mean, like, that that's the defense attorney's job is to get you as comfortable and, you know, as rehearsed, essentially, as you can be so you don't mess up. Yeah, because, like, literally one wrong thing could, if you were truly innocent, one wrong thing could make you look guilty. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes, like, I'm just giving, like, anybody the benefit of the doubt. You know, your wife died, your house burned down. Say this really, truly was all just coincidental. Yeah. Then I would probably be numb as shit, too. Like, (laughs) no, I did not do that, you know? Yep. So, however, when cross-examined by the prosecutors, it was another story. They wanted to grill Wes up there. But he remained cool and calm under all of the questioning. Yeah. One of the last questions was Wes's whereabouts the night of Jocelyn's murder. Wesley stated he left school at 4 p.m. <laughs> so I know where this is. Yeah. And had a sore throat. So he slept it off and that no one could vouch for him. Yeah. So he was like, well, I was going to go to a wrestling match that night, but I had a sore throat. So I just went home. He was like, so the wrestling match, like at Great Bridge or something? Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yep. When asked if he had thought about what happens if the verdict comes back guilty and what he would do, his answer was, I have, <laughs> and stare at the walls in a six by eight cell. Yeah. <laughs> Again, that's like something you would say if you were completely innocent. Like, I could see you saying that. Yeah, I guess. Because you'd be like, well, what the fuck else am I going to do? <laughs> You're right. You're right. Yeah. Guess I'm going to stare at the walls. God. <laughs> It'd be bigger than the damn closet that we're in right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Babe, you wouldn't be able to do it. You'd have to poop in front of somebody. Gosh, you're right. <laughs> God, and you'd have to share the toilet, too. Can you imagine if uh. you were pooping and your cellmate had to poop? <laughs> struggle so three hours and 35 minutes of deliberations and the verdict finally came back wes was found guilty of murdering his wife jocelyn thank goodness oh but wait but wait there's more yeah the jury may have found wes guilty but this was not the last of this case how does that even happen i thought you couldn't have double jury or something. a posting on the local newspaper's website turned this case upside down the post essentially said that the jurors had read the journals Oh, good Lord. How did they know that? It turns out the journals had been placed in a wrong box and been delivered to the jurors who expressed that they based their guilty verdict on inadmissible evidence. Oh, my goodness. So the judge had to declare a mistrial and Uh. Ernest would get a second chance at his defense. Seven months later, a new trial was started with the same judge but new jurors. That's bullshit. He should get a whole new judge, too. Yeah, I think he should have got a new judge. But yeah, so same judge, new jurors. Uh, they did not allow any cameras, uh, no news, nothing in the room this time. So Was he out like living his life during this or was he in jail? He was out on bond. So he was like out living his life. Yeah. Was he working at your school? When this all came about? Probably not. But like I'm they pretty laid him sure off. 
I'm pretty sure he was put on administrative leave. Yeah. But, uh, like, he was probably there from 2006 through, you know, the 2007 school year, give or take. Mm-hmm. The defense hammered on the unreliability of the fingerprint and Ernest's alibi, but prosecutors were worried the defense was gaining ground. When the prosecutors asked Ernest, will you lie and deceive people when it's in your best interest? Ernest eventually said, yes, I will. Why would they even ask that? Why not? That, that was the prosecutors. That wasn't the defense. I know, but like anybody would do that, I feel like. I mean, but that's him literally saying, yeah, I'll lie to whoever I need to if it gets me out of here. Mm, true. Was that on the stand? Yeah. Oh, he was being cross-examined by the prosecutors at this point. He's an idiot. Yep. So then during the cross-examination by the prosecutors, they had an idea to bring into play a piece of evidence that they had initially set aside and left out in the first trial, but they finally brought it to the trial now. Bum, bum, bum. The prosecution planned to confront Ernest about altering Jocelyn's journal that she had kept as part of her therapy. Dr. Ernest had written entries as if he was Jocelyn writing those. The prosecution explained he would either have to deny writing that or he would have to admit that he had done it before, that he had assumed her identity, just like the killer had in the fake suicide note. That's crazy. But like also, they would they would have to see the handwriting differences. Yeah. So Jocelyn's mother said she will never forget the question prosecutors asked Wesley. They asked, well, if you wrote on the timeline, how did you get to the house to write it? Wesley turned to the jury and said with a smile, she had a broken window in her home, and he motioned with his hands how he could move that window up and enter in. What the hell? Yeah. The prosecution was shocked this happened. They said it was like a scene from a movie in when you finally get the defense to admit their guilt. <gasps> yeah, it was almost like like he forgot that he was supposed to be lying. Yeah. That like gave me chills. That's creepy. Yep. Like he ha- might have a split personality. Like, he he is such a narcissist that he loves to tell, like, make himself look good. So he was like, look what I pulled off. Look what I did. Uh-huh. Look how I did it. For sure. Ugh. Yeah, Wes had nailed his own coffin at this time. The jury came back from deliberation quicker than the first time with a guilty sentence, recommending life plus three years. The judge agreed, and he was imprisoned on February 10th, 2011. When speaking to Wesley's mother... She feels he is still innocent, but the jurors and majority of others believe he is finally where he belongs, behind bars for life. I don't know. I I couldn't. If there was so much evidence and he literally said how he did it, Mm -hmm. she needs to stop living in denial. (laughs) I love my kid, but anyway. So believe it or not, Ernest tried to file for petition on September 30th of 2020 with the Circuit Court in Amherst County. After careful review of the claims and prior proceedings in the state court, the Circuit Court decided it was filed past the statute of limitations and also failed to demonstrate that he was entitled to equitable tolling, or essentially being actually innocent. The court dismissed the motion and denied Ernest a certificate of appealability. Duh. (laughs) So it definitely doesn't seem like Dr. Ernest is ever going to get out. Um, You know, he's where he belongs, and that's that. I think for some of my fellow classmates, this entire thing will divulge more information than, you know, when they had originally heard about it in high school. Especially, like, the rumors and stuff. Oh, yeah, and it'll definitely be interesting to see if any classmates, you know, reach out or come forward with other stories of Dr. Ernest. Mm. 
So remember, guys, if there's something you want us to talk about, please feel free to reach out to us on our social media at ACS Entertainment LLC and click the link in our profile to catch up on previous episodes and find those great natural products for everyday use. Make sure you tune in next time for another new episode of He Said, She Said. She Said.